episode 65, The Collaboratory of New York. Today, I speak with Anuj Desai of the New York eHealth Collaborative. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I heard a new word the other day, collaboratory. And I have to say I picked it up just in time for my interview with Anuj Desai, who's the VP of Market Development over at the New York eHealth Collaborative. This was extremely lucky because as I was speaking with Anuj about the mission and pursuits of his organization, I started to realize that it's a great word that describes their kind of crucible of innovative collaboration. And wow, do they sure know how to bring it. The New York eHealth Collaborative is in charge of the SHINee, which is the HIE, the Health Information Exchange of New York. And they are always looking for new ways to help providers collaborate better using that data. They also run the New York Digital Health Accelerator, which pairs entrepreneurs with local providers. Plus, they have worked very hard recently to improve the interoperability of EHR systems and more. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Anuj. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Let's talk about the eHealth Collaborative. You're doing a number of different things over there. What do you want to talk about first? Sure. I can give you a little background on our organization. So we're with the New York eHealth Collaborative. We also go by NICE, N-Y-E-C. We are a nonprofit organization formed in 2006 by the healthcare leaders in New York. Our board is made up of the CEOs of the large hospitals, health plants, and large employers in the state. Our core mission in what we do is we run the SHINee which is a statewide health information network in New York. New York State has made a very significant investment into health IT. And what they've done is really created programs to help physicians get electronic medical records. But once they have electronic medical records, allow them to share data across the state. So no matter where you are, your physician has access to your medical record. Relative to the health information exchange, and we have had a couple of other health information exchanges on the program, but why do you think that New York State was so particularly invested in this cause? Yeah, so I, I think, well, there's, there's really a few things. Back in 2006 or around that time frame, I think George W. Bush made a large proclamation that every physician should have electronic medical record and patients should get access. At that same time, New York created a grant program that enabled health information exchange and electronic medical records to really thrive. Combine that with the Affordable Care Act, Obama's Affordable Care Act, there's been a number of incentives put in place around helping physicians get electronic medical records. And then furthermore, I think because of payment reform that we've seen in New York State, particularly around the Medicaid program, where you have a, you know, one of the largest Medicaids in the country, and you have this new population that is looking to, you know, needs to have uh, physicians share data uh, across their networks to really more cost-effectively manage the care of a patient. Because of those reasons, I think, is the reason the SHINee has been so invested. And we've also had really amazing stakeholder support by hospitals, by health plans, by employers, by the state has really made this network become a reality. It's funny because I was listening just yesterday to Bob Berg, who wrote this book called The Go-Giver. 
apparently they're releasing some kind of new extended version or something like tomorrow. Huh. Um, <laughs> but what his point was, I mean, obviously, this was this is me translating what he was saying into a healthcare context. But I started to think that maybe the strongest players in healthcare moving forward will be the ones who are the strongest collaborators. And I say this because, according to Bob Berg anyway, giving and taking are two sides of the same coin. So it makes sense that those able to push out the most value into the ecosystem are going to be the ones to get the most back in return, and everyone's going to want to work with them. Yeah. And any less is sort of a false economy. Do you think that this is a future likelihood or a present day reality? Or... I agree. And actually, that's an interesting way to kind of frame the conversation here. I mean, if you look in healthcare, we've been moving from fee-for-service-based care, where physicians are reimbursed with how many tests they did and how many services they provided, to value-based care, right? Where now a hospital or a physician is being said, you'll be reimbursed X dollars, and it's up to you to better manage that care of that patient and lower the cost and work collaboratively with all the different care team members. So that could be a physician, it could be a specialist, it could be a hospitalist, it could be a long-term care provider. Now they need to actually all work together in some way. It won't be that they, only those providers will win. I think what's happening is payment reform is driving those providers to look at ways where they can more effectively manage the care of a patient. And a lot of that's happening through technology because they need to really see what other providers are doing. Let's talk about that technology for a sec, because one of the biggest inhibitors we hear over and over again about collaboration is interoperability or the lack thereof. I know you guys are doing some things in that space. Interoperability is, is a huge, huge problem. And let me just for the listeners explain what we mean by interoperability. Because interoperability, I think, is a large term that people um, use for everything. I mean, interoperability could mean device interoperability. Interoperability could mean data coming off your phone and connecting to your computer in some way. In the context here, what we're talking about interoperability is related to how Physicians, healthcare providers can interchange data from their electronic medical record system to other systems that other providers might have. If To give you a little history context here, when the Affordable Care Act was created, there was a number of incentive programs put in place for small physician providers, practices, and hospitals to adopt electronic medical records fairly quickly, I would say. What they did was they created a certification program that set the floor of how a physician should use an EMR. But there was something like 1,800 products that were certified. And the bar was fairly low. And also partly because it was new. People really hadn't had electronic medical records before. They didn't know all the capabilities required. But now, because what you were referring earlier with value-based care and the need for physicians to share data with other healthcare providers, the need to be interoperable between one electronic health record system to another EHR system has never been more valuable. So there were all these pro very proprietary systems created that did not share data. It's not like consumer electronics where you have, you have a USB drive on the side of your computer and any number of devices can connect, you can get data off. Essentially, these EHR records, the data is in a silo. I would say back about four years ago, our organization realized this is going to be a major, major issue for health information exchange. Because if you think of a health information exchange, it's all about sharing data. And to build an interface between one EHR system to the software that runs the Shiny 
you know, you're costing maybe $30,000 per provider. And when you think about 60,000 users of the Shiny, um, it's, it's a very, very big cost. We brought together 19 states that represent uh, over 50% of the population and 50 EHR and health information exchange vendors together to the table and said, you know what, let's not try to solve this issue perfectly, but let's look at the standards that already are in the marketplace. Let's remove any optionality out of those standards and let's drive towards a common certification program that will lead us towards the vision of being plug and play where any system can connect to any other system seamlessly. So we, we did that. We, over the last three years, we've invested significant dollars into this program where we have developed specifications. We've um, worked with the industry to get buy-in. And then finally, we have developed a certification program that is a very, very high bar that EHR and HIE systems can pass to be truly interoperable. Let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Totally understanding, I think it would be hard not to understand exactly what you're saying relative to the not inter, you know, the, the interoperability fail <laughs> that exists. In fact, I was speaking with an independent physician association in New York, actually, recently, and they had bought a number of ambulatory practices and merged all together. They had 36 EHR systems that they were trying to contend with in one organization. So it's definitely, as you say, a a massive problem. I mean, you've got a patient going from one doctor to another. You're trying to figure out how to combine data between 36 systems. I had been thinking, though, that Having an HIE would negate to some degree the need to have EHRs talk amongst themselves. In in other words, if you have an HIE that's serving as a hub between EHR systems, then it becomes less important that two EHR systems can talk directly to each other. Is that wrong? No, that's actually correct. But what does need to happen, though, is the EHR system still needs to talk to that HIE system, right? So what you need to have is a set of standards that are put in place. So it doesn't have to be a custom connection. So those 36 different systems you have, the current way that would happen is there would be a little custom interface for every different EHR vendor back to the HIE vendor. And you're talking like $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 to build that interface. And uh, what we're saying is there already are standards that exist in the marketplace that they're all essentially doing, but they've been implemented differently. So you need an engineer there, you need to build this interface. And we think that there's a way to standardize that. Because really, we think of innovation. Innovation does not belong in the interfaces. Innovation should belong in how great and usable the EHR system is for the physician. Uh, But I think, unfortunately, because data is in silos, some vendors are saying that we are truly innovative because we can integrate with other systems. And that's not innovation to us. If I were a provider, scoping out a new EHR system, or if I were a provider who was working with my EHR system, one question I should ask is whether they meet the certifications that have been put in place. Yeah, so these certifications are are relatively new, I would say. We just launched the program at HIMSS, um, I mean, the certification program. It's called CONCERT by HIMSS. It means Connected Certification. It's a fairly high bar. And um, we're now, you know, working with HIMS and their marketing machine they really have behind them. We're really driving the message now to vendors as well as to providers to get them to demand their vendor to be certified. And I think that's going to happen, you know, through a number of ways. But 
most importantly is that we need to get the message out to the providers that this program exists. And once a vendor passes this certification and it's a very rigorous bar, they will be interoperable with other systems. So if the vendor tests the provider, okay, now that interface can be $30,000, the provider can be like, oh, that's not really true because I know you have all the capabilities already built into your software. It should only be maybe a few thousand dollars, not $30,000. Let me ask you about Medicaid, because I know in New York in particular, Medicaid is a gigantic player and you've got the DISREP programs and you've got a number of value-based programs that Medicaid is attempting to initiate in order to improve the quality of care and reduce the cost of that care. Does Medicaid have any window into the Shiny, or is it more that the providers are using the Shiny in order to meet the what Medicaid, you know, the incentives that Medicaid has put forth? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really that. I mean, so providers that are part of the district program, which is this um, six and a half billion dollar program that Medicaid has created, what they have is there's about twenty five or so of these PPSs. They're called Performing Provider Service Organizations. And each of those organizations is typically represented by a hospital and many other training partners around them, almost up to 200 partners you know, within a PPS. As part of the district program, those PPS are required to use the Shiny to coordinate care. So they all are, and, and there, there's some of them, so I would say many of them are now and, and others will in the, in the future because they have a time window to onboard to the Shiny and leverage the Shiny. So, so the Shiny is a core component of the district Medicaid program because it allows those physicians to coordinate care and share data among those different training partners. And when you say required to use the Shiny, you mean required by Medicaid? Required by Medicaid to use it, yes. Got and, it. And, and, and it's it's not a negative requirement. I would say it's it's very additive and it's really collaborative because the state has made this um, significant investment into building this information exchange. It's really a public utility for all to use. So we really want those providers to use it. And we're trying to, where I would say the, the RIOs, which are the regional health information exchanges that combine together to form the Shiny, or have teams deployed with all the district PPSs to help them understand how it can be used, what the use cases are, what's the correct way to onboard. And I can see that for a Medicaid population, particularly in New York City, using the Shiny, exactly like you just said, it's not a negative requirement. I mean, you'd almost have to in order to make sure that you're providing the value-based care that you had just mentioned, just because there's so many providers. Right. And, and if you look at New York City population, I believe the numbers are something around 40% of those patients travel between one healthcare provider to another healthcare provider. So, um, you know, it becomes even more necessary for those providers to share data with each other and communicate. You know, a service I would think that's the Shiny offers that a lot of providers are starting to use is an alert service. So within a region, they can be notified if their patient shows up in an emergency room at another hospital or in their own, in their own hospital. So they can figure out how to better manage the, the, the care for that patient. I would be remiss if I did not bring up the accelerator program, which was another thing that you mentioned at the top of our conversation about what the New York eHealth Collaborative does. How does the accelerator fit in this mix? How did that come about? Yeah, so it came about, I would say, about four years ago, or three or four years ago. We had found a partner in New York called the Partnership Fund for New York City. They are an economic development group, a private fund, actually, created by Henry Kravis, where they invest in new sectors of the you know, New York City economy that maybe are underrepresented. 
And they created this program for the um, last uh, few years called the FinTech Innovation Lab. They saw that there was a need for tech innovation within the financial services sector, the banks. And if you're an early stage company, one of your biggest problems is getting access to large customers. So clearly in New York, we have a lot of banks. Through their relationships, they were able to pull together a coalition of large banks that agreed to work with small tech companies that helped drive them towards pilot, give them feedback on their solutions, and really help them grow. So we essentially found them as a partner, and we replicated that program here for healthcare, and that's called the New York Digital Health Accelerator Program. And that program, again, is, you know, it's, it's actually going to be in our third year this year. We actually just launched our third class this year and is really aimed at helping early stage health tech companies get access to customers. Through the Shiny Network, we have access to lots of providers. You know, we have very, very senior relationships with these healthcare providers at the C-suite level. And those providers have come to us and to others and saying, you know what, because of Disrupt, because of this new value-based care uh, world we're operating in, we need to better manage the care of patients better. We need to be able to share data with our providers better, each, each other better. And we need to be able to assess what that data means better. So we developed this program really focusing on the needs of the healthcare providers. And you know, we've developed a set of focus areas and, and really talked about or worked with these companies to get them access to large customers in New York. Is it actually the providers that are helping to select the startups that are invited? Or what's your selection process look like? Yeah. So, I mean, this, this, this accelerator program, I'd say, is a little different than some others because we're really focusing on early and growth stage companies. So it's not for a company that, you know, you and I have an idea. Let's go form a company and let's join this accelerator. It's more that, you know, we already have a company. We might have a few pilots in place already. But we're really looking for feedback from these providers to scale and to really shape our product. So um, what we've done is we put together a group of 23 large healthcare providers. These are really the brand name institutions in New York, like Mount Sinai, North LIJ, New York Presbyterian, as well as some smaller systems uh, around the state that have come together around common areas of need. Those needs are areas where uh, care coordination, patient engagement, and workflow. What's really unique about this program is the providers are the ones that pick the, the company. So every application we receive in the program is reviewed by at least two healthcare providers, many times four or five healthcare providers, as well as the investors we have at the table too. And then they all present, or the top 20 companies present to these group of providers. And the providers are the ones that pick who becomes in the program because they're the ones that they're going to work closely with these companies and drive them towards a pilot. How do providers go about this pilot or tryout? Because I know it's not just a question of money for them. It's also a question of time. I mean, absolutely. you know, priorities, there's some fire drill priorities going on and those priorities can't get diluted. It's like there's just not enough hours <laughs> in a day. Yeah. So how does a provider organization try something out, especially if they want it to be integrated into the workflow, for right. example, without spending all the time to integrate it into the workflow. Well, so, so um, it's just a great, great question. So um, we get that all the time. I mean, first of all, the, the, the providers that are at the table are in it because they believe there is a strategic need for this program. They maybe have created innovation groups or maybe they haven't created innovation groups, but they have a strategic need around the focus areas. We actually surveyed the providers and we brought them together. 
and they define core requirements of what they're looking for in companies. And then they pick the companies that they want to work with. So, um, you know, each class, they rank the companies. They say, here's who we want to spend our time with. Here's who we do not want to spend our time with, because maybe they're solving a problem for another provider, but not for me. So it's, it's really strategic in how, how they work with these companies or they're selected to be work with these companies. Throughout the program, you know, we have very, very senior buy-in to each of the providers. But then we also have a, I would say, mid-level, mid-to-senior level director or manager from IT or clinical that works with the companies on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we, we're very explicit with these companies. This is not a sales call. Um, if they're looking for a sales call, that's not this program. It may lead to sales at the end of this program because it's that's how the process works. But this is really about giving feedback to these companies. And, and the providers, they also feel they're giving back to the community. I mean, one thing unique about this program is we, it's an, also an economic development program. We've created over 150 jobs in New York. So these companies, no matter where they're located, they have to come to New York. They have to open an office here. And the providers really want to give back to the community. So I think the providers really in it for strategic reasons. But if they decide that a company isn't fit, they can also say, you know what, we don't want to work with this company anymore. And we're there to give the company that feedback and help them find another provider to work with. Does that feedback happen vis-a-vis conversations? In other words, it's almost like the provider is a mentor or does that feedback happen because the provider is actually trying out the software internally or the, you know, whatever the startup is offering? So it, it can be both. You know, there's a set of meetings that happen through the program that we are also at. And, you know, we encourage the company and the provider to be candid with each other, but we are also are the chaperones. We're the, um, we're the, the gatekeepers, I would say, to help them with any feedback they have on the, on the solution, any feedback they have on the management team or the sales pitch and so on. So there's, there's various levels of integration that happen there, I would say. If the companies decide they want to move forward with a pilot or some sort of trial, then they do that also. Um, we've, we've been successful. We've actually launched 33 pilots over the last two classes before this. And some were full-scale pilots, you know, with IRB studies and the whole bit. Some of them were more lighter touch pilots where they tried out for a small patient population before they decided if they want to move forward or not. How is success typically evaluated? I know you just said that in some cases they have IRB trials. I know it's really difficult to measure outcomes, especially of a controlling for three variables when there's 50,000 yeah. variables. So yeah. like, how, how does one go about this? So I, I, think, I don't think it's an easy answer to that question because I think you'll see in health tech, companies are at different stages of growth. I mean, some, some of them are just building new products. Some of them already have new products or have products. So, I mean, I think it's an example of looking at what the goals we set up with a company before they enter the program of what they really want to get out of it. We asked them to be really specific. For example, we had a company called Noom um, that was in our program last year. And they're a later stage company. I think they raised their Series B recently, or maybe even Series C. They raised a lot of money, $15 million recently. And they, they were very explicit what they're looking for. They were a direct-to-consumer application that was focused on weight loss, and they're Results really were astonishing. After a year, the average, I think, 40% of those patients were still on the program, and they uh, of, of consumers, sorry, not patients, and they lost an average of 10 pounds, which is really amazing. So they really had how to engage with consumers locked down perfectly. But what, what they were looking for was they wanted to create a new business line where they're selling to enterprise hospitals and helping for patients to manage their diabetes through the use of a care coordinator. So for this company, they had already had a product, 
but now they were looking for clinical feedback about how to create a product in a large hospital or enterprise setting. So what we did was we paired Noom up with a few large hospitals in New York, some that were focused on district Medicaid type patients, some of them were not. And we had them give them real feedback about how this could work in a clinical setting, the workflow, um, as well as how they can manage diabetes better. I had Sarah Welsh actually from Noom on this program, I'm going to say in the spring. If anyone is interested, they can go back and listen <laughs> to, to that. Yeah, Noom is a really fantastic company in a lot of ways. I think, I think they got a lot out of the program because they helped them look at healthcare. Uh, it's, I mean, they were a direct consumer really company and now they're selling to hospitals. So it, it's, it's a very different sales cycle, very different types of users, very different product. I know that it's something that is a perennial topic of conversation amongst startups. You know, how do you apply and get into an accelerator successfully? It sounds like one of the, I don't want to say main criteria, but maybe a key criteria that you guys are using is what's your goal? And does your goal align with what we can provide? Absolutely. I mean, I think I've seen, you know, we've had 15 companies graduate our program now. Only We do one class a year, so we're a little different than a lot of other accelerators in that way. But I really look at what they're looking to get out of it. I mean, we've had companies approaches that are selling to pharma companies. I said, you know what? We have healthcare providers at the table here. That's really what you can get out of it. We have companies that are sometimes too early stage where they maybe just had a beta of a product, but nothing else. And I let them know, you know what? You may not be successful here because these providers are looking for solutions they can deploy now. They don't want to wait uh, six months to a year for a new solution to come out. Or maybe your team isn't mature enough. You guys don't have enough people staffed up. If you're really successful here, you're, you're going to have to grow quickly. Um, so I think the, the ideal company really is a company selling to healthcare providers that has a solution in our focus areas, that has a vision of how they can integrate with provider workflow. And I think that is really open to feedback. It's funny what you say about pharma companies, because that's actually uh, uh, one of my focuses in my day job. And you're absolutely right that what is going to play well at a pharma company may or may not be the same thing that will work at a provider. And typically when I get asked this question, you know, I have a, a, an entrepreneur who comes up to me and either relates a tragic tale about how they were kicked out of some pharma company or what they were intending to pitch to a pharma company. And my most common first reaction is, hmm, that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> because pharma companies have very different restrictions. Yes, so. <laughs> they do. We actually have pharma companies at the table at our program as well as sponsors. A lot of the pharma companies are looking at digital health in new ways and they want to start building relationships with healthcare providers more stronger. So I, I think that, you know, pharma companies are at the table in terms of investing in health tech, as well as looking to drive pilots also. Um, but this program is decidedly really focused on healthcare providers. Yeah, totally understood. And, and yeah. that, I mean, I think it is an imperative of pharma companies these days. They really are struggling. They've, they've lost their meaning to a large degree. And, you know, how you find meaning is basically figure out what your value is, what the unmet need is, what your customer really needs, wants, and desires, if I'm quoting some sales guru. <laughs> yes. So I can, it would seem to be very important that they are in fact sitting at the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I can also see what you're saying, why you're focusing less on seed companies, the very, you know, exactly like you said before, like, you know, 
three three people sitting around a table with a good idea and more on already established companies who are looking to move laterally or, or vertically. Because there's also, from a provider standpoint, especially because you've got providers sitting at the table, there's less risk there. I mean, I could see, I mean, it's risky enough to try a new innovation, but to try a new innovation with a completely unproven company. And when I say unproven, I mean on every dimension. I mean, not only is their product unproven, but also just their management, their leadership, their quality, you know, everything is is at risk. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And and these healthcare providers, if you think of them, these are very, very large institutions. You know, um, some of them have 16 hospitals, you know. They have a procurement process they have to go through. And they have to prove why are you picking the startup? And um, I think this program now has given them credibility that we, you know, vet our companies uh, fairly well. And, you know, the company that's going to be in this program isn't going to go just belly up in a year or two. We're actually are trying to help them out and help them succeed. But, but it is exactly that issue. I mean, one of our CIOs originally, when we started the program, said, you know, I'll never be fired for hiring IBM. I may pay a lot of money, but I'm never going to be fired for hiring IBM. But for, to work with a startup company, I need to have a lot of really good reasons why they're doing something very uniquely that a large company like IBM can't do. And I think that's where we're trying to help grow entrepreneurship and help grow these companies through these relationships that we have. So they don't face with that question is, well, I can just hire IBM to do this. You know, why do we need you guys? Along those lines, you know, the why do we need you guys? You know, we've, we've sort of seen the first wave of health tech and investing in a lot of these early stage companies. Now what? What do you what do you think that the next evolution in health tech is going to look like? So I think there's, you know, investors are, I mean, looking all over the place. Health tech right now is one of the hottest areas to be, I think, around. We really have seen in the past a lot of companies that came up around analytics, for example. And analytics, I at least from our interpretation, analytics is, is a really big area to look at. But there's companies that are really probably later stage, even later than our accelerator are the ones that are hitting it out of the park because you need to be really integrated into the workflow of a provider, integrated into the HR systems. You need to have a lot of resources at your disposal to really understand um, you know, where a provider is coming from. I think the next phase is really patient engagement. Last year, you know, with, with Noom and a few other companies we had, and this year with our companies in our program, patient engagement of how to more effectively engage with patients get them to, you know, uh, to keep track of their care plans and, and keep track of their medication history and so on is so, so important. And um, we're really excited about that new wave of companies coming forth, really, really engaging the consumer, but finding a way to integrate back into a provider workflow. I think, I think to me, I think that's where we really want to see this. In past years, we've had a lot of companies focus on care coordination, which is, I think, still a very, very valuable area. But I would say patient engagement is probably the new area that we um, have seen a lot of interesting companies, and I think we're going to see even more companies. In. Let me ask you to put yourself in a provider's shoes for a sec, Anuj, because this is yeah. something that I have been stymied by. For example, I had the conversation with Noom earlier this year, also talked to about wireless pill bottles, which is another way to engage patients. I spoke with someone about precision, you know, using genetics, predictive analytics. I mean, there's so many different ways to skin that cat and engage patients. And all of them have, I would say, a different hypothesis as to what the key problem was or the starting point was. I could see as a provider, you know, 
all of these approaches are obviously relatively new. So you can't say, oh, I need to look at the last decade's worth of data, you know, post-market data in order to assess which one has the, the best outcomes for this particular patient population. How are providers navigating this? I mean, there's 40, 50 plus choices for almost everything. Yeah, you know, I, I, you hit on the nail. I think if you talk to healthcare providers, and I talked to many recently about this issue, you know, there's no place that a provider can go and get a consumer reports or a Gartner report or a class report on these early stage companies. You know, um, even those large firms I mentioned, they're really focusing on larger companies, not the early stage companies. The, you know, I think providers right now are, are at, at a dearth of information out there. I mean, I think there's a lot of companies approaching them that they all do similar things, but from a provider's perspective, they're really looking at evidence. Is there evidence about this actually works? So I think there's actually some providers now are trying to band together to see how can we take published studies? How can we create more effective ways to drive evidence of um, these solutions? But I, I don't think there's an answer to that question. I think the problem is right now, there's way too many solutions out there that are very similar, that are not proven. And it's a provider has to try to skim through what the hype is and, and what the reality is. But I will say one thing is all these solutions you're talking about are very, very early stage, right? Providers are still focusing on implementing things like telemedicine, for example. And telemedicine is a space, obviously, we had Teladoc that just recently went public, American Well that's doing very well, and a number of other companies that are much more mature in that space. And that, I would say, is really what providers are, one of the areas that providers are looking to implement large scale. So I, I, what I guess I'm trying to get at is, I think we're a few years away still from providers really implementing patient engagement solutions in a much larger capacity. And I'm hoping that by that point, there will be some clear winners or clear leaders in the marketplace that providers can, can point to as some studies have been done to show this is effective. But I think until then, um, accelerators such as ours and other accelerators around the country are really helping those companies get you know some traction. I thank you so much for being on the program today, Anuj. Stacey, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.